Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. We're joined today by Leanna Hawkins. She is a financial marketing expert with Blackhawk Financial. She's also the author of bestseller Young, Fun, and Financially Free. And she's also the editor-in-chief of TheWealthyMindset.com and hosts a regular segment on Yahoo Finance. Leanna and I are going to talk a little bit about good money moves to make during this COVID experience. Leanna, thanks for being on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, for many people, the COVID virus and the lockdown has created a whole bunch of disruption. In your own experience and from your clients and the people that you're talking to, what is really the first thing that you think about or that they come to you in trying to describe what they're going through and what's your sort of initial advice to help them recover from the shock of whatever they're going through? So I think for everyone, no matter what situation you're in, if you're single, married, have kids, don't have kids, mortgage, rent, like whatever your housing and your family situation is, I think it's really important for everyone to take a look and make an assessment as to where are you now. I kind of go through a little bit of a 12-month process with people that I speak to and in my own life. And it's basically creating a 12-month contingency plan. And to get that whole plan in your head or ideally down on paper, the best thing to do is, of course, you have to start with, where am I now? So you need to take a look at what are your regular monthly basic expenses. So for everyone, the top three expenses in your life are always going to be, for the most part, unless you have a gambling problem or something like that, is going to be your shelter, so your housing, whether it's rent, mortgage, or however you pay for your shelter. Your food is usually second, and then transportation. So any car loans or lease payments, gas, insurance, that's usually third. And so we have to take a look at what those expenses are monthly. And do you have a cash cushion or emergency savings account, or it's described in many ways, sitting in a, what I would suggest to keep it in, a online only high interest savings account. So you can still access that cash within a day. So for an example, Ally, Ally is an online only bank, meaning they don't have retail branches like Bank of America and Chase. And because they don't have all that overhead costs, they are able to offer a little bit of a higher interest rate for people to just park their cash there. And because there is no ATMs or retail banks, you can't just walk into Ally and take your money out in five minutes. But it does usually take a full day to online transfer money from your Ally account to your Bank of America or wherever else your primary bank is and then take the cash out if you do need it to pay rent or pay those credit card bills for your groceries or other things, gasoline in your car, that you need to use that cash because you have a loss of income or you've been furloughed or laid off and all those things. So you really need to know where am I at now? How much cash do I have on the sidelines saved up? minimally in any other situation, most personal finance experts would say three months. But right now, because a lot of people, even in the next three to four months, the next quarter, as we see a lot of earnings coming out and what this bigger economic picture might actually look like during recovery from what's going on right now with COVID-19, 
people will still probably still be getting laid off and losing their jobs for the next four months at least. So it's better now to have some cash on the sidelines for all those basic expenses for maybe the six, even 12 months if you can. And the interest rate difference between an online account like Ally, there's many of them. If you go to bankrate.com, just look up high interest rate savings accounts and they'll give you a full list of comparison of all the different rates and you can choose which one works best for you. I think Ally is at 1.7 now, whereas your traditional bank, Bank of America or Chase, they're at like 0.1. So you're not going to get any, you're not even keeping up with inflation. So yeah, keep that cash in an online high interest savings account. And that's going to at least give you a little bit of a tiny return to keep up with inflation while you park that cash for a rainy day, your cash cushion. So that's where it's just people start with that 12 month contingency plan is looking at where am I at now? And what do I really need to pay for over the next three to six to 12 months? And am I going to have enough cash on the sidelines for that? So as we sort of step back, we talk about the interest rates for the asset side of the balance sheet where people have cash and other investments. This seems like, especially with the disruption and if there's a job loss or sort of a stoppage of income, it's really important to sharpen your pencil on the expense side of things. And you talked about interest rates. How do you lead your clients and people who ask you through the analysis of the borrowing or the sort of leveraged side of things, whether it's a mortgage or credit card debt or student loans, how do you help them prioritize what makes sense if you have to make difficult choices? So, I mean, what's interesting right now is there are a lot of personal finance experts that are saying, don't worry about your credit card debt that much right now. Obviously, a lot of people don't have to worry about student loan payments anymore, because if anyone listening to this today, what's the date today? April, is it the 15th or 16th today? April 15th. It used to be the deadline for taxes, but we got a little reprieve from that. Oh, yeah, right. So that's bumped back till July. So you got a little bit of time to do that paperwork. But with anyone that has, or formerly before the last few weeks ago, had student loan debt payments to make, those payments have been deferred until September. So you got a little bit of a break on your monthly mandatory expenses from that. You don't have to make those payments right now, which is great. It gives you a little bit of wiggle room to, if you haven't spent all your money and you still have income in these next few months, take that money that you are using for your student loan debt payments instead, that extra money at the end of the month, and put it towards those high interest credit cards because you are never going to make the reason why people always say that you have to pay off your credit cards before you really start investing is because you're never going to make almost never going to make as much money investing, which on average, the S&P 500 returns between eight and 10% a year for as long as time goes back, you're never going to make about more than eight to 10% investing on average. Like that's just statistics and history. But your credit card ratings, the interest rates on that is between 15, more likely in the 20, 21%, 25% range. So clearly you're spending a lot more money on interest rolling over the balance on your credit card every month than you are investing. So yes, paying off your credit card debt, I think should be a priority. That being said, the reason why a lot of experts right now are saying don't worry about paying off your credit card debt is two things. One, if you don't already have that three months minimum, more likely six months, if not 12, of a cash cushion on the sidelines, if you don't already have that saved up, 
you need to save up that cash right now. Again, because last week with the weekly jobless claims, it's now up to over 16 million people have lost their jobs in the last month. So that's going to continue for the next four months. And if heaven forbid that you are one of the people that loses your job or someone in your family loses income and that affects your monthly payments, you're going to need that cash on the sidelines. But if you do already have a pretty safe six month or so emergency cash cushion put aside, then yes, continue to pay off any credit card debt you have, and then maybe considering investing after that. As far as the second reason goes, and this also goes along with mortgage payments as well, and rent to a certain extent, depending on how flexible your landlord's willing to be, the reason why a lot of the personal finance experts are saying don't worry about paying your credit card debt right now is because there is some leverage with your mortgage provider, your landlord, and your credit cards when you call them and try to negotiate either a decrease on your interest rate amount on your credit cards, or more likely than that, because I've heard that not everyone is having success actually getting a reduced rate, but they are 100% giving people deferrals on their payments of the interest and the principal, as well as on mortgages, as well as on rent. So you have to start making the phone calls. I mean, I have also tried calling, I've called RCN, which is like Comcast. It's my phone, my internet. I've called my cell phone providers, all of those people. They actually, and I'm really good at negotiating. Like that's my role in the family. <laughs> <laughs> for my mom, for, you know, everyone, they're like, Leanna, can you call the airline? Get us a refund. Call the hotel. Get us a refund. Get us a better deal. No taking no for an answer. So, <laughs> yeah. So I am good at it. But to be fair, like they were not willing to give me a discount on the rates. They said for your phone, your internet, your cable at home, you're already in the best package we can give you, but we're willing to defer your bill payments until September. So I was just calling more out of curiosity. And of course, I'm always going to save money where I can when people are offering it, but they weren't willing to give me a better rate. So I just said, don't worry about it because I do have the cash flow and I do have the ability to just still make my regular payments rather than making a lump sum payment in September. And it was the same story pretty much with my cell phone. They said, okay, well, we can put you in this package that is a little bit more data. So I got something a little bit more for free but the price was the same. So I personally didn't have as much luck with actually getting debt or payments to be reduced, but they are being deferred. So you can pay them at a later date if you're struggling with some of that cash flow and income loss right now. For those people who have flexibility on income or that bandwidth, for things like mortgages, would you recommend refinancing? Rates are at generational lows at this point, my gut instinct would be to say, this is a really good time if you have the ability to refinance, to really take a look at it. And uh, and if you're being, I'd say, either aggressive in terms of saving or otherwise really getting ahead of the wheel as it relates to your personal property, thinking about a change in term from 30 years down to 15, if you think you can afford it, or maybe getting away from a fixed rate arm and locking in a rate for a longer period of time, where do you come out on that? Absolutely. I say there's a lot of people, even just conversationally, friends of mine here in New York, and in Canada, in cities all over the place that are refinancing and negotiating, of course, their mortgages right now. And I completely recommend it. If you are still in a stable cash position and a stable job and income that you can prove that they're going to say, okay, you're not at risk of defaulting on your mortgage payments or your rent, anything really. I mean, this goes for rent as well. You're not negotiating an interest percentage rate on that, but it's the exact same thing, whether you have 
a commercial space because you have an office building that you're leasing and using for your business or just your own personal rent, you should absolutely be negotiating anything like that. And it's the same thing again with credit cards. They might not remove 1500 bucks of your interest that's owing or your balance that's owing, but they will probably bring down your interest rate a little bit. And yeah, it's exactly the same. Any kind of debt that you have right now, negotiate, negotiate, because it's only going to save you money in the future as well, not just right now. And yeah, as far as mortgages and property go, if you do still have a stable income that you're able to prove, that's what they really need to see right now. They want to know that you're stable to be able to do those refinancings. And yeah, that's 100%. I mean, every person I've spoken to, mostly in my industry, it is mostly male dominated, but there's a lot more women in the industry now than there was even 12 years ago when I started. And so most of the guys I talk to, it just happens to be mostly guys in the industry. They are all doing the same thing right now with their New York apartments or wherever. Everybody's calling and and trying to get a refinancing done. So 100% a good idea. You're just saving money down the road. The power of compounding is important, right? Exactly. (laughs) Both on the positive and the negative. I talk about that a lot because a lot of people... They always just say, oh, compounding interest is the, what do they say, the seventh wonder of the world or whatever. Well, first of all, it's, it's not a wonder. It's just a calculation. But it's also not always a positive thing. I always talk about this. Compounding interest, compounding anything is both a positive and a negative. <laughs> if you're compounding interest on your credit cards, you are literally, you're not just paying the interest on that balance every month. You are paying interest on the interest. And that's compounding. It can flip upside on you big time and it's powerful on the way up and powerful on the way down. I spent a big section on my book on that and I said basically to most people who end up picking up, I say if you read anything and you're a novice in these types of affairs, read that because it really informs everything. So a lot of what we're talking about too, the real game plan too for most people is to make sure that they save for retirement. And I think it's conventional wisdom that that's one of the first allocations of cash flow that you should try to make in a stable environment. Things are unstable now. Sometimes you have to make difficult choices on saving for retirement and otherwise investing for other goals. Whenever I run into people who are talking about this now, I say, if you can at all invest now, even though it hurts, now is a pretty interesting time to do it, given that valuations have come down. How do you think about it as it relates to cash flow planning and other personal financial types of situations? Yeah, I mean, I actually just, what day was it? Last Wednesday. So, I mean, I don't want to say, I don't think anybody should call the market. And I think that's stupid. You're not, even if you're a day trader and you're really in and out of the movements all day, every day or you're a professional trader, not just a day trader at home. But I do have to say that I myself put in almost all the cash that I had available. When was that? Three weeks ago or whatever, when we were at the very bottom. And I'm so proud of myself because now everyone was saying to me, they're like, oh, well, it's going to be up and down. Of course, it's going to be up and down. And I didn't even care. I wasn't calling a bottom. I just said, hey, these valuations look a lot more attractive right now. Like Boeing at 92 bucks. I like it here more so than a year and a half ago at 470. Like, I think that they're not going to go under. I really do. So, and for me, I'm pretty much all long-term, long-term meaning two plus years at minimum, three plus years at minimum versus a traditional long-term position is defined as or seen as a minimum of a year. Because again, right now with all these economic implications, we just really don't know how long it could go for if we're in a recession economically with 
a recession being two quarters of economic decline. If that goes on to two years, it's post two years that that's considered a depression. So I think that's also important as well. People throw out a lot of scary terminology and people don't actually really know what the definitive lines of that are. Like to go into a depression, it takes two years of declines economically. I don't think, I mean, again, I don't want to call it. I really don't know. I'm not an economist, but it would take a lot for us to go into an actual depression. So that's the number one thing is people shouldn't be scared. Don't get scared by all the media and the terminology and the fear mongering because we don't know what's going to happen. And even if it is two years or longer or three years, first of all, every recession has recovered on average within a maximum of 3.1 years. So even if right now we are in a recession for the next year, the next six months, the next two years, whatever it might be, Within three years, we will very likely recover because that's just the historical statistic of every other recession ever. Are you a big proponent of dollar cost averaging so that you sort of take away the market timing phenomenon? Yeah, of course. I mean, I joke about calling the bottom because who knows, it might go back down to that level again or even lower. But I just, I was putting money in every week. And then when that one week, I think it was three weeks ago now, when we were just really at the lowest, I remember that Monday, and that was actually the first day that I even started to get a little bit scared myself when I saw Boeing at 92. And I've actually been a, an investor in Boeing over the last year. I've been putting money into Boeing ever since. And not that I like to capitalize on horrific news like last March when the plane went down, but I bought Boeing that day on the negative news. And that's also just a part of investing. You can consistently buy on negative news and it's always a, ends up being a positive. So I've been buying it all the way down through this whole year. So by no means is my entire position in Boeing in the black. It's still in the red because I've been buying all the way down from 375 last March. But of course, that's what I recommend to everyone, throwing buckets of money in every month, being consistent. And as a lot of people say in personal finance, set it and forget it. Set up your, whether it's your 401k withdrawals from your regular paycheck at work or your automatic transfer from your regular banking account into your investment account. So you can go to the bank, set that up $500 a month, whatever you want to do so that you just never see that money. You just never have the opportunity to spend it. And that's why people tend to really like their corporate employer-sponsored 401k or RSP programs because you set that up from the paycheck level. So you just never even see the money. You're saving and and it doesn't affect you. What you get into your regular bank account, your checking account through your direct deposit, that's kind of the money you know, your net income that you know you have to play with. But you kind of forgot that you're investing this whole time. The important thing from that point then too is to make sure that if you are automatically on your own investing, even outside of your company 401k, is that you actually go do something with that money. Because there's also a big difference between saving and investing. A lot of the time, those terms are used interchangeably. Saving is the cash. Investing is doing something with the cash. And you have to do something with the cash or it sits in that account, whether it's a trading account for most of them or your checkings account on the sidelines. Those are all pretty much 0% interest, 0.1%, nothing. So you have to do something with it. You have to, you have to invest it, whether that's in stocks or ETFs or whatever you want to do. And, and yeah, doing that consistently over time, set it and forget it. And being consistent, meaning you're putting money into the market every month, no matter what the pricing is. And if you do see like, hey, right now, we're still only, I think it's 20% below. The market's down a few percent today. We're going to be 22% from down from the highs in February. 
But if you see some opportunities like this and you have extra money in cash in your checkings account that you don't need for the rainy day fund, you don't need it for the cash cushion for the next six to 12 months, put some extra money in this month. I did that. I Last Wednesday, I went on my online, my corporate 401k. I bumped it from 6% because I always want to get the full percent match from the company I have the 401k with. And I bumped it up to 10% because again, it's just automatically taking out and automatically investing it into the preset portfolio I've already set up in there. So I did that. I took the extra cash I had, put it into the market, just doing as much as I can to take advantage of the fact that we're a little bit down from the highs right now. So People don't like to use that word sale. Investments and stocks are on sale, but it is a little bit of a sale, right? It's a bit of a discount to the premium. A quick sidestep here, and I think I'm very interested in this. How do you get your news? A lot of people are overwhelmed with the sort of presidential press conferences, CNBC, lots of, in many ways, sensational headlines, and it's difficult to sort of sort the signal from the noise. What do you do to get the information you need to make good decisions, but at the same time, filter out the stuff that can drive you crazy or otherwise it can be depressing, it can otherwise be scary? How do you think about that? Two different ways for the most part. Well, I guess there's three. There's reading, there's listening, and there's watching. So number one, I would say is the listening part. I have a dog, so I go for a dog walk every morning. I listen to this podcast every day called Wall Street Breakfast. It is usually somewhere between seven and nine minutes long. I listen to it on time and a half speed. So that's really like a roundup of what happened yesterday and what's going to happen today. What news announcements are happening? Is there job loss claims today? Is it consumer price index? So that's a really, really quick way to get updated. That's very market-based though. And honestly, for any investor, as I'm sure you would agree, you don't need to know what's going on every day. But if you're super interested and you want a very quick wrap-up of what's going on, that's a seven to nine minute way, time and a half speed. It's about four minutes and I know what's going on today and I know what happened yesterday. So that's really easy. Wall Street breakfast. The other one in terms of either listening because they have it on podcast or watching is since I was 21 years old or 20 years old when Mad Money with Jim Cramer started on CNBC, six o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Pacific. I record that show every day. I don't necessarily get to it every day, especially when I'm traveling, but that now they have it on a podcast version as well. And he is loud and aggressive in the way that he talks about things, but he's a very good educator in my opinion. And sometimes I just fast forward the episode to the first 10 minutes is again, him just talking about what happened today, what he thinks is going on in the economy and what other people think, what the Fed chairman said today, Jerome Powell, or like what's going on around the world. So it's really the first 10 minutes is again, same type of thing, a wrap up of what happened today, how economic and market perspectives are changing right now. And just an overall perspective of the market, not just his end of the economy. It's He incorporates a lot of opinions, which is what I like. And it's also quite, I find, to be fairly bipartisan. So obviously in the U.S., there's a lot of Democratic influence in the media and Republican influence in the media. And I'm actually a Canadian that's only recently full-time moved to the U.S. So it's interesting to watch those dynamics with TV and the media. And some people say, oh, watch CNN because that's the best bipartisan channel. Oh, you should watch, don't, you know, Fox is all Republican and all these types of things. They really do make a difference though, too, because sometimes they don't show the opinions of economists or investors or other experts that are of a different political party. So I find those things make a difference. I don't really watch a lot of that stuff. I pretty much just do the podcasts, those two podcasts. 
I watch Jim Cramer at six o'clock. I sit in my office and I do just have CNBC on all day, every day, usually occasionally Bloomberg as well. And I just kind of have it on the background. But again, that's because I'm really interested in the stuff. So most people are not going to be watching that every day, nor do I recommend it because it'll confuse you and it'll get you scared. And you really have to have a strong stomach to know that this is all just jibber jabber for the most yeah, part. Right. I got to the point at one point, and I work in the industry too, where the CNBC and Bloomberg channels, which I like, but it can be too much sometimes, or it, to me, it seems sort of repetitive at times. I ended up putting the food channel on, just block it out entirely. And I set my phone to have the Wall Street Journal drop certain alerts. And I thought that worked for me as a way to kind of give me the information I needed when I thought I needed it. And at the same time, kind of maintain my sanity. <laughs> I do have to say that I like the Wall Street Journal. They have great articles. The New York Times right now has, if anybody is in the US and they need answers about SBA loans, PPP, stimulus, all of those things, the New York Times has the most fantastic article with FAQs and links to all the different areas of the IRS or the Department of Labor for Unemployment. And they keep updating it because things are changing week to week with this $2 trillion stimulus package. I have that linked on my, if anyone uses Instagram, at Leanna, L-E-A-N-N-A underscore H-A-W-K, Leanna underscore Hawk. I just have that in my bio right now on Instagram because it has been the best resource I have found for very simple layman's terms, question and answer, FAQs about anything stimulus related for businesses or for individuals or for families with dependents and all that and all the links embedded into it to where you have to go to apply. Like it is just such a good resource. So I think the New York Times has been pretty good with that as well. But there's so I'm also in the media and I'm editor in chief of the wealthymindset.com. There's so many articles I get every day. I mean, I probably get 120 emails a day. That's just articles. And it's the same thing with the written publications as well. They have all their different political influences and backers. And sometimes it's just overload, I think, on the emails I get with the different articles. And especially right now, living in New York, I get so many friends and family as well sending me different things about COVID. Scare Liana, get out of there, read this article. I'm like, there's thousands of these I could read every day to scare the crap out of myself from living here and from investing. But I, I'm just like, get out of my face. I'm just trying to live my life. I'm just trying to be day to day, stay healthy, stay positive. And honestly, I think, thank goodness, I am generally a very positive person as far as the world goes with health, investing, the economy, and for, again, the very long term, looking at history, because yes, this is unprecedented. We've never had a time like this before, but there have been other times in history where it didn't look like this, it looked like something else, but it was unprecedented for them as well. And they got through it and we will get through this. But I think the written, all the articles that are out right now, it's even harder to decipher. So I pretty much just stick to my basics, my five minute podcast in the morning, walking the dog, Wall Street Breakfast, and Jim Cramer, clips of that at six o'clock after the workday and just have some of the news on in the background while I'm working in my office and just in and out hearing things of that. 
One of the things that the disruption has caused with people being either sort of locked down in their apartments or homes and taking on different roles and responsibilities, that it's a chance to reset. And one of the things that I relate to people beyond investing and structuring wealth and dealing with taxes is that the more you can develop yourself and your income capability, the better off you're going to be both now, medium term and long term. And so I am trying to not only myself, but tell people that this is a unique time to really use, in many ways, use time well to develop different interests, different skills, different capabilities within your own job. How do you think about that? And when people come to you talking about their finances generally, income generation really is one of the quickest ways to improve your lot in life. How do you advise people around that? For sure. This is definitely a time to make use of your hours at home or the flexibility of not having to take transportation or drive in and out of work every day, which for some people wastes an hour to two hours every day. And they're not necessarily that productive during that time. There is a lot of flexibility for some people right now. And even just some people that still are working full time from home and have jobs for a lot of my friends, even are people I work with and have spoken to. There's just not a lot going on economically. So there's not a lot of work for them to do, even with their full-time jobs, like people that work in finance, people that work in real estate. Aside from accountants, the accountants still have a lot to do. Yeah. Accountants and lawyers, they're fully employed. Everyone else is having their time consumed with Zoom conferences. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there is a lot of flexibility still for people. I have been really working on my own personal morning and evening routines. Lots of people talk about stuff like that. But the one thing I have added to my daily routine, specifically in the mornings, is I now have a mindfulness journal. So it's just for gratitude, mindfulness, daily, how am I feeling every morning and a book. So I've always been reading this book. It's called Journey to the Heart. They're morning meditation reads and there's a date on it. So today's is the April, did you say the 15th? 15th, yep. (laughs) 15th, April 15th. I don't remember the exact title of it, but it was something like embrace the journey of creativity or something. And then it's a one minute read about finding your creative space and allowing your imagination to flow freely to bring your greatest desires and things you want into your life. So it's just some little peaceful read. Literally takes me one minute. I do it in bed and then I grab the journal. It's like a pocketbook size and there's a little preset in there of 10 lines and I write something for the day, how I'm feeling this morning. I'm so proud that I accomplished this yesterday and whatever. So it's just a really good way to start the day. Tons of people have that book. I've seen it all over social media and TV. It's called Journey to the Heart by Melody Beattie. And it's eight bucks on Amazon. Everyone, I highly recommend it. Because I also have a hard time, I don't know about you, but everyone talks about how meditation is so good for you. But I don't like to just play a podcast or YouTube video and like sit on my floor for 20 minutes. Like it's just, I'm not that into meditation yet. (laughs) Yeah, I just I'd like to get there at some point. But for this, I enjoy reading. And it's positive. It's easy. It's one to two minutes out of my morning, everyone can accomplish that. And it really does set the tone for the day. And I've also been I've gotten into the streaming workouts, I use obey fitness, OBE, they're New York based, and they have a big fancy studio here, they do lives all day every day. And then they have the whole on demand program. And it's free right now for everyone for a month. 
So that's a great one. I've done Obey. I call it my Obey every day. I've done it every single day. And I'm on day 35 now of self-isolation in my apartment by myself, single with the dog. So I've done that every single day, which I'm proud of. And yeah, so mine has been really developing my personal mindset. And then in terms of career, there's a lot of people right now that are either preparing to have to look for a new job or are looking for new jobs and new ways to develop income. If you're in that situation, 100%, like get on LinkedIn. There's still lots of people doing stuff on LinkedIn. Find people that are in the industry that you want to get in or the one you're already in that you might have to make a shift from one firm to another, smaller firm to a bigger firm. There are people hiring. And even if you need some income in the meantime, if you have already been laid off, but you're not quite sure where you're going to get for a full-time job, or if you've been furloughed and you might go back to your old job in a few months, but you need some income in the meantime, I mean, there's a lot of in-person jobs, essential worker jobs that you may or may not want to do, but the Amazons, the Whole Foods of the world, all those types of people are hiring, but they're also hiring corporate roles as well. Everybody is hiring, whether you're any kind of consumer-based business is hiring for call centers, support, even the government is hiring people to help support over the phones with all of these assistance programs. So there are lots of work from home roles like that for temporary income. If you have three or four hours extra a day, you might want to do something like that. I mean, why not? Depending on what your situation is. So there is opportunities there. And then of course, yeah, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, actively trying to have phone calls and conversations with clients or potential clients you were following up with. That's what I'm doing. I'm literally have a draft open in front of me right now to a company I sent a proposal to last Wednesday following up. And People that have been in the roster and talking about working together for the last year, I'm sending them emails saying, you know, I hope you and your family are happy and healthy. And how can I be of service to you at this time? Like each, do you want to have a Zoom or a phone call and talk about what you guys are up to these days? I'm sure there's some ways that we can develop your marketing programs. And most I work with financial companies while we're all going through this time. People are spending lots of time on their computers, lots of time on their phones. Like, let's see if we can do something to help develop your business right now. So there's lots of ways you just have to be out there doing it, developing yourself personally, developing your business and staying in touch with people. Don't go off the grid because we're going to come back from this and it's going to be roaring and they are going to know. Everybody's going to know who was out there and who was hustling during this time and who stayed home and cried or was scared. Like there, and I don't mean to be, I've cried at, at times too, not a lie, but there are going to be people that get recognized for their strength and their hustle during this time period. And it's all going to come back to you. I tell people too, you covered a wide gamut of all those things. But with some of that time for people who don't have experience in media or PR skills or are interested in coding or what Instagram metrics look like or a lot of other things, even like an accounting course or something like that. This is an interesting time to do that. And there's so many online resources and YouTube courses that you can pick up a lot of different skills, even in a backdoor way, just by engaging in some of those things. And you come back either at your current job or with a different set of skills as you go out and try to find a new one. It's just an interesting use of time. And for those of us who don't do real well without structure, 
one of the things I try to impart on people is the quickest way to sort of get structure around things is really to try to divvy up the time during the day so that you feel like you're making progress and that you don't come out of it going, geez, I was in my pajamas until three o'clock and then I made a couple of calls and now it's seven o'clock and I didn't really accomplish anything. So that's something that I try to impart to people just to say to the extent that you can make daily progress towards certain goals, you're going to feel better about this thing as we get back to some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. I have been looking into, there's a group I'm considering working with here in New York, and I would need to get my SIE Series 7 and 63 licenses and stuff in securities. So I haven't been licensed in security. I don't manage people's assets. So I haven't been licensed in securities since my last full-time job before I became an entrepreneur, which was about six years ago. I was working in London. And anyway, so I've been looking into that to do those courses and not studying for the exams and stuff now. Because again, when you're pretty much forced to be home most of the time, anything that's studying or exams based or yeah, online courses, this is a really good time to do that. I know a few people that have been wanting to get into real estate investing, doing their own flips or different things like that. And they've always kind of wanted to take the real estate exams so that they can buy and sell their own flips so they don't have to pay commissions and stuff like that. So they're taking the real estate licensing now. So there are a lot of things that people can do to make use of the spare time they have. As we start to wind down here, we're going to come out of this abyss at some point. And there's going to be periods of time when different states open up probably. And there's going to be different access to businesses, different access to things like restaurants and getting away from social distancing and so on. Any other thoughts as far as what you can do to prepare yourself for when we start emerging from this and sort of recovering from either the financial heart attack or the career heart attack as we push forward here? That's been the real big topic of conversation this week, the 13th and 14th and now 15th of April on CNBC and in the media, because there's this coalition of 10 states that are all starting to make those plans of how do we get back to working order. Today on the news, they said that President Trump said that there's 27 or 29 states that are very close to being ready to start laddering out their opening of operations in the economy and potentially earlier than May 1st. So in the next two weeks, 27 to 29 states might be starting to reopen different things. They've mentioned things like golf courses and more recreational activities and other things like that, very essential office worker jobs. And that's really what they're trying to define. What is really an essential job for someone needing to be in an office for amongst a large group of people? And how do we separate those people and their cubicles or whatever their work setup is? Those are the questions that need to be answered. So in preparing for those things, which again, some people are saying that might start happening in the next two weeks before the 1st of May. The way to prepare for this, again, you have to be ahead of the game. You have to be the one that is reaching out to your colleagues, your clients, your prospects, your network on LinkedIn, the network you want to be a part of. So again, if you're, say, you're an accountant, but you want to get into the real estate market or whatever you want to do, if you want to make a change or you want to start some side hustle in another industry or you have a business idea, get people's time from them now for a mentorship phone call or a connection on LinkedIn to get their email address do all that forward thinking now because people will be really busy trying to actually then be out there hustling for clients and money and new jobs once the market opens up. I mean, I've had quite a few. They say that I think it was 46% of the people that have lost their jobs of those over 16 million here in the U.S. 
in the last three weeks, half of them are millennials. And the people that are 46 years old and older, they are the ones that are actually going to keep their jobs, which makes sense because they're older, they're probably in more established positions that are not as easily replaceable. That being said, anyone that has been furloughed, laid off, or their company has gone bankrupt, like I mean, my hair salon, a bunch of the places I work with have already filed for complete bankruptcy. So there are going to be a lot of people looking for jobs or looking for a better job, because I do know also people that their whole team got laid off, but they stayed, but they had to take a pay cut. Well, you're not going to want to stay with that pay cut forever. There's so many people in different situations that are going to be looking for jobs, that are going to be hustling when this is over. You need to be the person that's hustling and networking for those jobs and those opportunities now. Because in two months, three months, whenever we're really back up and running, who knows how long it's going to take, the jobs are going to get reposted again. And instead of maybe normally 50 people applied for them, there's 500 people applying for that one job. You need to be the person that already contacted them out of pure interest to let them know you are looking in their industry three months ago. You need to be at the top of the list. So just being as proactive as you can in job-wise, side hustles, everything that you can, just stay out there and in contact with people. And going back to that for that previous point, if you're able to develop another skill with this time, you make yourself that much more useful as you get back out there. That too, yeah. Especially if you're looking to make a movement into a different field. Yeah, doing an online course through I actually talked about this on one of my oh, one of my Instagram posts, my social media posts. I did a journalism program through the master school at Harvard. For journalism. And I actually did it in person, but they offer different things like that online for all the different Ivy League universities. Like if you're, say, for example, you are in accounting and you want to get into real estate development or something, whatever change you want to make, go see if Yale or like one of these amazing schools has an online course in real estate. It speaks volumes to people in a new industry that you're trying to break into to say, hey, I studied at an Ivy League school and most of those programs don't even have prerequisites to get into them. It's just a matter of investing 1200 bucks in the course. The courses are probably more expensive than they're going to be anywhere else. But, you know, invest in something like that, like where it's a very high quality level of education and investment in yourself or through one of the real estate associations or association in that field. It really does speak volumes. Leanna, really good advice. Thank you for being on. What is the best way to keep track of you and how can they find you? I am very big on social media and in the media space. Definitely Instagram at Leanna underscore H-A-W-K, Leanna underscore Hawk, Leanna Blackhawk on Twitter. And yep, feel free to add me, Leanna Hawkins on LinkedIn or my Facebook at Leanna Hawkins Official. And I'm sure that Fraser will link up all that information in the show notes and always happy to take a direct message question or a contact and, you know, be in touch with everyone that's consuming the content because it's great to get feedback and nice to know people are listening. All of that info will be on the show notes. So if anybody wants to catch up with Leanna, we'll be able to do that. Leanna, thanks again. Thank you so much, Fraser. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Wealth Actually.